My name is Tenzin Hagi and I'm 28 years old. My name is Lamo, I'm 49 years old. We are a Tibetan refugees living in Australia. We arrived in Australia in 2014 May and I was turning 21. So basically we are considered as a refugee in Australia because my mother escaped from Tibet to Nepal and to India to seek refugee because our country was taken by China back in 1959. So Tibetan people in Tibet does not have human rights, autonomy and right to do their own religion and we don't have um, basic human rights in Tibet. So basically my parents had to climb to Mount Everest overnight to escape and to seek refugee in India. My mom was pregnant with me when she exiled. You're listening to New Home, a podcast that shares with you some of the stories of migrant and refugee women living in regional Victoria. When it comes to refugees, all too often we hear the headlines and maybe even engage in the debate. But actually, we know very little about these people, our newest neighbours. We don't know their names, their stories, or what their lives are like. There are thousands of migrants and refugees living across Victoria in cities, small towns and regional communities. This series, New Home, is inviting you to spend a little time hearing incredible stories from women who are putting down roots here in their new home. My name is Ali Hanley and I'm producing this program from Jara country, the traditional lands of the Jajawarung. I pay respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you may be listening from. Today we'll be talking with two refugees from Tibet who are currently living in the regional city of Bendigo. As you just heard, Lamo was heavily pregnant with her daughter Tenzin Nagi when she escaped from Chinese-occupied Tibet. Tenzin Nagi is now 28 years old, a trained nurse and able to translate her mother's story for us. It is, of course, also Tenzin Nagi's story and that of her father, stepfather and older sister and many more people besides. Can she tell us a little bit about what it was like? So when she exiled from Tibet to Nepal, Nepal to India, after one month, I was born. So she was saying that there were overall of nine people together with my dad and just the one girl that was her. That's when they all exiled to India together. And she left my sister with her grandparents. She walked almost a week of walking in the snow. So she left one child behind and she was heavily pregnant when she left. That must be very difficult. They had to hide during the day so that, you know, the officials won't hear or oversee. But when, they, when it turns dark at night, then they have to slowly, like, exile so that nobody hears their voices and, you know, knowing that they would escape. Because they were escaping at night, so they had to, Wonder. like... Uh, walk on the snow. So, so basically the snow is not very soft. It's kind of like very hard. So they can, they walk on the top of the snow too. Sometimes on the top of the mountain. So if they have to go from higher to lower ground, they had to just bend their knees and then like basically slide them down to reach towards the lower ground. 
And was there, was she afraid of physical injury or was there any like hunger or? So the, she was saying that they have two utensils where they have packed uh, Tibetan barley powder for the journey to India. So they had to share among, among the, you know, like there are nine people, including herself. Ten people. Oh, there are ten people, including herself. And there were two utensils where they kept a barley powder in the utensils and then they were sharing among each other make it like a soup porridge yeah. and they only eat once a day or twice a day to make sure that they have enough food to have it on their journey so once they finish one utensils they throw them and then she, they use the remaining to share among themselves so no actual like other food just Tibetan barley which we call it a traditional food and it's called zamba so, she was saying she was really hungry yeah yeah and, and thirsty as well I can't imagine like eight months pregnant that you would be able to go without food or drink or rest or all of those things. It's amazing. So when you reached Nepal, what, what was it like? When they were about to reach the Nepal border and the Nepal officials captured them and then took them to a place called Sajatiminkara. Gorka. Gorka. So they captured them for almost two weeks in that area. And then they, they were saying they don't have food at that time. It's all unfinished. Right. And so uh, was that like a refugee camp? Was it like very basic? It wasn't a refugee camp. It was basically the Nepali officials captured those group and then put them into a place two weeks. So almost like a prison, not allowed to leave? No way to escape. They've been watched by the officials. But the officials were giving them a little bit of basic needs like um, the flour and one rice. Flour, one rice. And then they were cooking, you know, yeah. And they were making a soup to survive. So they only have like one bowl of soup to, <laughs> to have. And then once she was saying that uh, when they finished one portion of the food that they were taking, and she was saying that uh, the moment after she's still feeling hungry. So when they reached Nepal, the officials captured them and then uh, kept them in that area for two weeks, but they did provide them a basic needs. And after that, they put them into a prison for one night. And the next day they got um, released. And then the Tibetan, you know, the officials, those who people worked for a government, helped them get out of the prison and then uh, provided them some foods and stuff. So at that point, sorry, just for clarity, the Tibetan uh, officials in the Tibetan government were in exile as well. Yeah, we do have Tibetan government in exile. Yeah, Tibetan people living in Nepal. Those people work for Tibetan government, so they knew that there are many Tibetan refugees who exiled from Tibet to escape to India. From there, they took them to what do you call Nilingkang? It's like a center. It's a big center. I visited there as well. So it's kind of like a boarding school but specifically for Tibetan refugees yeah, to leave. So she lived in that uh, Tibetan camp, which we call it Nele Khan. She lived there for almost a month. Yeah, one month. Because she was saying that she's got some wounds on her feet because of the, the, the journey that she took from mountains to reach Nepal. She was suffering from wounds on her legs and then she was um, unable to walk for a bit and that's why she couldn't make a journey to India that quickly. So from there, I guess from Nepal, you went in a car or something. How did you end up in India? Did you walk again to reach no, no, India? No. Oh, she came in a bus to reach India and then when you reach in India, 
I guess after one month I was born. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I was born in India after one month. Yeah. Yeah. And she was saying that I was in her uh, tummy for almost 10 months. Yeah. yeah, it's like you were waiting until it was safe. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so what was life like in India? Two years. She was saying in between one to two years, my late father was suffering from a severe headache and which led to which led him to be diagnosed with cancer and then he gradually died afterwards. So he had like brain cancer. Yeah, yeah. Brain cancer. and then I guess at the time they don't have money for the treatments. I guess the wounds got more worse and due to lack of treatment, due to lack of financial. So my mom, I guess, wouldn't, wouldn't have money to provide the treatment that he deserves. So she was saying that our late father was very sick and that's when she put me to a boarding school because she wasn't able to look after him and you at the same time. So what was it like for you growing up there? Do you have memories of that time? Of my childhood? No, actually. No, I don't remember. But I know that I was grew up in a boarding school. I remember when I was like five years old, I do remember a little bit of memories, but yeah, not so much. Okay, and was she able to visit you at the school? No, I think Did after you, you dropped me in school, right, Did boarding school, then she went back to Tibet. So I was about two years and then she dropped me to school where I've been looked after by another carer. So I saw a photo where there were other like seven, eight kids like me, two years old, being looked after by other mothers in that school. So we've been provided all the basic needs, the clothing and food by the uh, Tibetan government in exile. And the educations were all free. And then she went back to Tibet and then after one year she brought my sister back to India thinking that, you know, because I was just alone in India by myself in the school and then she thought that it might be good for me and my sister to be reunited together in one school. So we basically grew up in the same school. So she was saying for about a year she did visit us in school and then she, on the side, she was also selling bread on the street so that she can get some income to support me and my sister. And then after one year, she went back to Tibet because she her families are there. She went back to see her own parents. Yeah. yeah. It's very difficult being split, the family being so split. It would have been so hard for your mother yes. to know where to be or what to do. Right. <laughs> very difficult. Yeah, from India. Not, not great. Yeah. yeah, very difficult. Yeah, very difficult. So in India, I don't know what refugee status means in India. How are people treated as Tibetan refugees in India? So I will share from my experience. So basically, we have many Tibetan refugees all over India, but specifically more in Himajul. Basically, the reason behind is our spiritual leader, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, escaped from Tibet to India, and then his residential place is in Himachal Pradesh. So that's where most of the Tibetan peoples are settled in that camp. So we are Tibetan refugees in India, meaning that we are stateless. We are not a permanent resident of India. So we do have schools. We have a number of schools built by the uh, Tibetan officials, our government in exile. The Indian government allowed Tibetans to reside in India. Very grateful of them for and letting us. Freedoms. Yeah. They weren't locked up. No, we're not being locked up. Yeah, we follow the rules, we follow the, the laws and stuff. If you does not obey the law, obviously, then you've been captured. But otherwise, we do have freedoms. We have freedom to do our religion. We have freedom to study. We have freedom to worship our own spiritual leader. So there's no restrictions. 
at what point did she meet your stepfather? So my mother met our stepfather in the year 2006. What made him want to seek asylum in Australia? So my mom was saying there were one Australian researcher or professor. His name is Gabriel. And there were one guy from another country, I think United States. They went to Tibet to investigate about things that happened in Tibet. So my stepfather was a teacher in Tibet. And then they need someone who can interpret for themselves. So in Tibet, if the Chinese government knew that he was helping those Westerners to get information on Tibet, then they would get in trouble. So which eventually happened that our stepfather and those two foreigners got house arrest. The Chinese officials knew that they were doing something to find out about the truth because my stepfather was basically helping them to translate and help them through the journey. And then later on that the Australian researcher's wife, Helen, was in Melbourne at the time. And then she had to protest in Melbourne to bring her husband back to Australia because he's been house arrest in, in Tibet. And then, and then he got released, everyone got released. Afterwards, after that, my stepfather was unable to live in Tibet because of Chinese official threatens or asks other people about what he's doing and all these things. So he had to basically leave Tibet. Yeah. leave his family and then exile to India. And then when he was in India, he was working for non-government organizations. And then I guess my mom was saying that in the year 2006, they met each other and then decided to live together. Yeah. And our stepfather has been very great. He has been a great supporter to our family because yeah. now we have my sister, me, my mother, and we have a little brother as well. His name is Ozer and he's now 14 years old. Yeah. He's lovely and sweet. Yeah. And he goes to Bendigo High School. Yeah. And then because of him, because of his uh, what he have done for his country and he is considered as political prisoners yeah. in Tibetan exile. Mm -hmm. So then Australian government has this project, we, they call it humanitarian project, basically allowing Tibetan people or refugees to come to Australia and live life. And then that's when we got into that opportunity. That was in 2011. But then we got stuck for three years because when we got appointed to come to Australia, at that time our sister was over 18. And my stepfather really wanted my sister to be in that group to come to Australia because if we come and she left behind, she'll be very sad. So because of that issues, we got stuck in India for almost another three years just to come to Australia, even though we got appointed to come. And then we finally came in 2014. But unfortunately, my sister was unable to come. But my mom sponsored my sister to come to Australia and then she came to Australia in 2015. Having landed in Australia, what was it like? Was there a bit of culture shock for you both? So she was saying that it was very good. She has right to study, freedom, very clean and a good government. Basically, you have your own rights to do what you want as long as you follow the rules and the laws of right. Australia. And so when you came over, how did you begin here? Were you given a house? When we landed in Australia, remember the Australian guy that I talked to you about where he met my stepfather in Tibet? Mm. So he was actually Australian citizen. Mm. So basically he picked us from airport and then we were dropped in a temporary housing. We lived there for almost a month, right? Yeah. And then after that, we found our own rental housing. 
were there other Tibetan people you were able to meet and connect with who were already here, who helped you? So we do have a Tibetan community in Victoria and we do have in Sydney. So, you know, they're scattered around the Australia. But yeah, we do have, when we came, there were already like many Tibetans in refugees in Australia already. So there are about, I guess, less than 1,000. So what we do is we are very connected to each other. And although we don't have much population in Victoria, we do celebrate His Holiness birthday. We do gather for Tibetan New Year. That's when we all gather together and get to know each other, introduce ourselves. So you originally landed in Melbourne and you lived in Melbourne for how many years? Now about eight years, roughly. From Melbourne, she went to Mildura for Maybe. half a year just to experience what's the life like living in the regional Victoria. My mother does not speak fluent English. So living in Melbourne is very quite difficult for her because she was never able to find a job. And uh, due to the communication problem, obviously, even though she wanted to work, but she would not find a job because that's kind of limits her. You know, it will be difficult for her to know the route and then take a tram or whatever to reach the destination. So then they decided to go to Mildura Regional to work in the farm and to see, and also to see what's the weather like and the opportunity there. And then after staying there for half a year, they decided to move to Bendigo. Bendigo is good because of weather. She feels like it's a Tibet weather because winter is cold. Cold and yeah. Summer is hot and dry. Dry is, yeah. And they love hot weather. And also, when she moved in Bandico, she joined Sisters Work, right? Basically, it's a women clubs where she get to know other refugees from Karen and other countries. There are many refugees in the Sisters Work where they get to see each other them and then communicate and share their experience. Bendigo Community Health introduced her to the sister work, thinking that, you know, she will get to know the other refugee women. She was also saying that she heard about sister works before when she was in Melbourne, because we also know that there are few Tibetan refugee women also attending sister works in Melbourne. So she has this vision that, okay, she will attend one day. Yeah, so it was familiar to her. Yes. Yeah. What did sister works help her to achieve? Being able to communicate with other women and other then... Um, yeah, so like basically you are talking there, right? But she was yeah. saying that other women does not speak English. So it's like a women's club. So you go there, attend, and then she was saying that she gets sometimes do some little bit of sewing. And sometimes if the sister works has some orders that they need to yeah. do, that they will provide that order to her so she can do that and then get some little bit of money and then... She basically go there, enjoy, communicate, interact with people. In Sister Works, there are two teachers and volunteers, so they do communicate each other in English. So basically helping her with communications and... To practice. Yeah, to practice. And second thing, she was saying that she's going to go back to school again to study hard in English so that she can pass her citizenship test. And she passed, she managed to pass the citizenship test because when she first came to Australia, she does not know how to write, does not even speak English. All I remember she was saying is yes and no. But yeah, she went to school, she communicated with people and she studied hard to understand Australian laws, the culture, Aboriginal culture. And then this month she passed her Australian citizenship test and she was thinking that that was her one of the biggest achievements in Australia. So she really wanted to go back to Tibet to see her family 
And even our grandparents, our grandfather died a few years ago. She was unable to go back to Tibet because one thing is that you are stateless still and you're a temporary resident in Australia. That means if you decided to go back to Tibet, if something happened, if the Chinese official captured her, Australia is not responsible for her. So she really wanted to secure citizenship so that, you know, she gets the right. She's considered as a citizen of Australia so she can go back to Tibet. How many? So you haven't been back to Tibet for many years. 17 years she haven't been back to Tibet. She have never seen her parents. And when our grandfather passed away a few years ago, she was unable to go back because she feels it's not safe to go. And now, yeah, hopefully she will get her passport soon and then hopefully being able to go back and see her family again. How hard was it for you to adjust to Australia? So when I first came to Australia, I was about 21 years old and I grew up in a Tibetan boarding school. So that means I've never lived outside of the society. So when I first came, I wasn't speaking really good English. I was very shy. I don't do eye contact. Back then, I hardly speak English. It took me a while to get here now. So when I came, I was 21 and obviously the, the, the guy that I mentioned earlier, which my stepfather helped him when they were in Tibet, his name is Gabriel. So he and his wife helped me with the course that I wanted to enroll in, basically helped me pay the tuition fees because we are refugees in Australia. That means like we don't, we don't have much dollars when we first arrived. I guess we only have $500 back that time. And that was even provided by Gabriel and bought the textbooks and everything. That's when I first studied Certificate 3 in Health Service Assistance. And yeah, so that's how my journey started. After finishing my Diploma of Nursing, I also enrolled into Bachelor. And I finished my schooling, all, all of six years of schooling in 2000. Uh, 19 late December. So obviously the pandemic happened, the hospital needs nurses and I was able to got selected into Alfred Hospital where I'm currently working. Did you find your feet socially easily or was it difficult for you? Like, did you find friends or did you fit in with Australian culture? Did you like party or, you know, what was it like for you? (laughs) It was easily adjusted adjustable. I did meet lots of friends. I met lots of uh, other people at a workplace and obviously the culture was a little bit of different. So it was slightly not very easy to fit into the Western culture. It improved gradually. Australia is a very great country which allow me and other Tibetan refugees to um, settle in Australia and given all the rights and freedom that we could. And also we were being able to work, we were being able to serve the community. So often the story of refugees is about how lucky they are to have gotten away from a bad situation and have been able to start again. But what do you guys feel like you've been able to bring here and share with us? I don't know how to say that, but I try my best. She was saying that in terms of traditional, she brought her, oh my gosh, my English is so bad. <laughs> no, I, it's really hard for me to like, you know, say what she thinks. Yeah. So she was saying, basically, correct me if I'm wrong. So you make dumplings, right? You make momo. We call it Tibetan traditional food, like momo. So she brought that in the community. So she was saying that last time she made homemade noodles and then brought it to the sister work so that the other people can recognize her traditional food. 
and then for others to um, try what it's like from you know Western other co- countries dumplings, yeah. and also she does sew when she was in India, and she makes her own traditional dress. So coming to Australia, you know, she brought her own skills so that if Tibetan people living in Australia, if they want to make own traditional clothes, like, you know, she could use her skill to do that. And is there anything you particularly miss from home? Yes, definitely, yeah. So me, personally, I was born in India, So it's been 28 years. I have never been back to Tibet. So obviously every every Tibetan all over the world really desire to go back to their own country, go back to our own country and feel what it's like, you know, because we heard about it. Like obviously our parents taught us all the histories, our teacher taught us the stories behind. and But as a woman born in overseas, but not being able to go back to our own country due to a Chinese occupation. So I really wanting to go back to Tibet. And with my parents, obviously, I want to take them to Tibet and being able to meet on families and being able to go and visit the Tibetan monasteries, the, all the like history parts and wanting to go and feel the soil and feel like what it's like, you know, because obviously we've never been, we, I have never been back to Tibet and I really desire that at, at least we get a chance to go back and without any restrictions. She was saying that she... And my mom. Her, mom, her own mom, her own siblings cousins and she misses them so much. Most of the elders are already yeah. passed away, but she couldn't go back and visit because of the restrictions from the Chinese government for Tibetan people. So she really missed them. Mm-hmm. And she sometimes feels sad because she was unable to go and reunite with them. And do you feel at home here? Home here, I feel. Yeah, she feels Australia is her home. Yes. And we... We bought a house last year in Bendigo. And yeah, so this is one of the another achievement for our parents to have a home to live so that you know they can call it as our second home. Obviously our primary home is Tibet, but our second home is Australia. So yeah, they're happy. They're living good life in Bendigo. Thank you for listening to New Home. Follow this series in your favourite podcast app to get new episodes or visit sbs.com.au forward slash new home. If you'd like to get in touch, email newhome at sbs.com.au. This series was created and produced by me, Ali Hanley and Ginny Tan with additional editing by Max Gosford.